You are Locked On Bears, your daily Chicago Bears podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Bears fans are justifiably concerned with how the team's going to handle the quarterback position both in the short term and the long term. That's the focus of this mailbag edition of the Locked On Bears podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Cox. I'm an analyst for Pro Football Focus, and I'm here to bring you your daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. Today, we are answering your listener questions and putting you in charge of what we talk about on the podcast. I appreciate everyone who called and texted in, and there's some noticeable discomfort with the future and present of the Bears quarterback position. So we're going to start there in terms of the dynamic within the locker room, within the coaching staff, and within the front office. But we'll also sort of look ahead to how much we trust this current regime to properly evaluate the quarterback position. And we'll wrap up with a few quick hitters on some different specifics around both the offense and the defense. Let's go to the voicemails. Hey, Lauren. This is uh, Curtis from California. Hey, I got a I got a question for you. So it feels like the leadership in House Hall refuses to acknowledge what every single other person has seen, and that's the deficiencies at the quarterback position. Now, is this a situation where ego is now the biggest problem we have going forward? And you know, just this is a sword they're going to die on, regardless. I mean, the trade deadline came and went, and nothing happened. There was nothing to address anything. So I'm concerned. Um, about the egos uh, more than anything else. Uh, hoping to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks. Thank you for the call, Curtis. It gives us a good direction to kind of start here. And I want to pair it with a text message we got in from Brandon from Ohio, who writes, how could the locker room be okay with the front office forcing Trubisky on them? He's proven he's not the guy, and the players know better than any fan that he can't play. So we have a lot of different dynamics at play when it comes to the Bears quarterback position in terms of what the team is doing now, what they didn't do at the trade deadline, and what they might do in the future. And I think there's always going to be some level of ego involved in this when you talk about a general manager and head coach trying to obviously win football games, but also trying to be right about their young quarterback and try and make him into something that perhaps... We, we might be able to tell at this point that he is not. But I also think when it comes to the position right now, and you talk about the trade deadline, for example, the Bears were in a difficult spot where they're limited from a resource standpoint and certainly limited from a opportunity standpoint to be able to find potential quarterback solutions or anything to really significantly address the position at the trade deadline. Not a lot of talent available, not a lot of resources to work with. And so if you're the Bears, I don't think they wanted to try just anything to address the quarterback position, that if they're going to make a big change there, they want to make sure they're all in on that big change and, and kind of making sure that you're sure about the quarterback or whatever change you're looking to move there. And, you know, a trade deadline deal for a, a questionable borderline starting caliber cast-off quarterback from somewhere else in the NFL likely isn't going to move the needle too much for the Bears and create a bit more of a mess at the quarterback position of what you do with Trubisky then and what that sort of dynamic starts to look like in the messaging to the team, which might already have some, I guess, uneasiness 
to it as far as the frustration that could be existing sort of behind the scenes with Trubisky that I think at times during the season, we've seen Bears wide receivers get frustrated by missed throws. You know, I think we've seen it a few times from Anthony Miller. I think we saw it from Taylor Gabriel a little bit. Allen Robinson's been getting plenty of balls his way, so I don't think he's had too much to be frustrated about in terms of individual production, but there's going to be frustration in this locker room, and there is going to be and are going to be players that are ready to point the finger at Mitchell Trubisky. And I think Matt Nagy's done a good job of, of trying to build a culture where even when there are individual players not performing up to the, the, the status quo that they need to, players can still find ways to look at themselves and find more ways that they need to be better as well. And when you look at this Bears offense, Allen Robinson's pretty much the only one who doesn't need to be better. Everybody else has shown room for improvement this season. So I, I can see where it would be different if everybody on offense was really killing it and Trubisky was just the only thing going very poorly. But they've had a lot of struggles elsewhere, so it can be easy enough for guys to sort of blame themselves and not feel like it's all on Trubisky's shoulders, even if a significant portion of it may be. And and to give Matt Nagy some credit, I mean, he hasn't been, he'll never come out and outwardly criticize Trubisky, but he has acknowledged that the quarterback play hasn't been where they need it to be and that, you know, they need better from Mitchell Trubisky. So there's, it's not a complete public denial of issues from the quarterback, but it's, it's sort of a political game that Matt Nagy has to play in the sense that He's not going to get a ton of benefit on his team right now if he is particularly critical of any of his players. That when they're facing adversity like this, they know they're not playing well. And Trubisky knows he's not playing well. He's not oblivious to his mistakes. And so I don't know that they need to be told that they're not playing well. This is not the kind of thing where they need to be kicked in the butt and, and motivated necessarily. This is a, a quarterback that is underachieving and needs to achieve better. And so I think that's sort of the strategy of give him the rest of the season, put your full support behind him now. They didn't really have any options to, any really like excellent surefire options to make a difference at the trade deadline. So give him the rest of the season, put the confidence behind him, see what you can still get out of him. Maybe feed your ego a little bit more and say, let's let's really make sure that we can't pull something out of this and see what exactly Mitchell Trubisky is and Mitchell Trubisky isn't before you really have to start making the hard decisions in the offseason. But before we get there, we have the Philadelphia Eagles on Sunday. The Bears are currently five-point underdogs on mybookie.ag, but the point total over-under has moved down just slightly to 41.5, with the money line having the Bears plus 180. If you like those odds, now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with mybookie. Mybookie is the premier place to bet on all your favorite pro and college football action every weekend. They always have the most up-to-date lines and the most prop bets of any sports book on the planet. So if you're going to bet this season, do the smart thing and bet with the best at MyBookie. The best part is, if you join right now, MyBookie will double your first deposit. That's right, if you put in $500, they'll give you $500. That's double your initial deposit you can use on all your favorite picks. Just use the promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, locked on, to double your cash at mybookie.ag. You play, you win, you get paid. 
Once you start extrapolating the quarterback conversation to the offseason ahead a little bit, and you talk about the process of trying to find the next Chicago Bears quarterback, and I don't want to get too far ahead of things here, but we're not going to get into like specifics of as far as NFL draft prospects or players just yet, because that'll be we'll have plenty of time for that during the offseason, don't you worry. But we got a, a voicemail that sort of brings the quarterback evaluation process into question that I, I thought was a, a sort of a good way of thinking about it at this point. Hey, Lauren, this is uh, Alex G. from Madison, Wisconsin. So my question is about what the Bears have as far as their quarterback evaluators, both in the front office and the coaching staff. I, I really am curious about when the Bears do get their opportunity to have a shot at a quarterback in the draft again, do you feel good about the current brass that the Bears have in namely Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and, and say also the quarterback coaches as well? You know, do you feel comfortable about the group of guys that they have that in the draft room, you know, they can all come together, you know, and agree on a quarterback together or, you know, say a couple of quarterbacks that are, you know, hopefully actually really good. I mean, I think that we've seen that quarterback evaluation is still kind of a tough thing to to analyze. I remember even in the 2017 draft, Trubisky was still kind of considered to be not a bad pick with Mahomes sort of being the volatile gunslinger. And then Watson with questions about velocity, injury, slimmer frame. So I'm wondering, you know, Ryan, Ryan Pace, I'm not sure about his quarterback evaluation skills. You know, with Trubisky is one thing, but also his his uh, open proclivity to liking Marcus Mariota, signing Glennon and Sanchez, who are really not good quarterbacks, even if Glennon maybe at the time thought to have something more. Do you think that Matt Nagy and the quarterback coaches can are can they help Ryan Pace? Do you think that is there anything in their history for Nagy or the coaches that show that they would they would be better quarterback evaluators? And if the Bears should have an opportunity to draft a higher end quarterback in the draft again in, in future years. Do you feel good that guys like Nagy can help out Pace to find the right guy? Thanks, Lauren. Really appreciate it. And again, love the podcast. Thanks for the question, Alex. And it's a one with a lot of layers, as as you started to kind of get into there. That there's the the quarterback evaluation process, of course, is the most difficult thing for any team to do in football. And there's a reason why very few teams are good at it, and very few teams, especially, are consistently good at it it's kind of been like the Patriots and the Packers kind of getting lucky you know with Batman and and even that right there it's it's hard to know how much is being good at it and how much is being lucky when you have such a a small sample size of two in in Green Bay and you know some other franchises have kind of had their ups and downs and some will luck into quarterbacks and some will seem to find a way to keep evaluating them at a high level but clearly the Bears have not been one of those lucky or effective franchises really at any point in the team's history, but especially as of late. And certainly the recent track record from Ryan Pace has not been one that necessarily inspires confidence at the quarterback position. Like you said, uh, Mike Glennon was the big opening of free agency signing, the guy they sort of seemed to put all their faith in publicly before they dashed all of that with the second overall pick in the draft in Mitchell Trubisky, who isn't panning out the way they would have liked. And of course, that evaluation only looks worse after he traded up from three to two to make sure he could get that quarterback and would have, of course, had his full choice of any of them that he saw fit. Of course, Matt Nagy was not a part of the franchise when either of those quarterback decisions were made. 
And there were some, I, I've seen conflicting reports about how the Kansas City Chiefs rated all the quarterbacks in the 2017 draft. I think it's largely believed that they had Trubisky ahead of Patrick Mahomes, but I've kind of seen it both ways. And, and Nagy's always kind of said that they liked Mitchell Trubisky as well. And at this point, I'm not ready to fully believe any specific report, but it's clear that there were some consensus across the league about Trubisky being a, a high-quality quarterback prospect, and there were legitimate question marks about Patrick Mahomes in the draft that a lot of teams were struggling with. So it wasn't as though the Bears were the only one to maybe have gotten it wrong on Trubisky. They just were the one that <laughs> had to experience it in their jersey. But when you bring this to the 2020 offseason, it's a more difficult dynamic for this front office from a resource standpoint, especially when you start talking about the NFL draft. Like, certainly, I, I have questions about this organization's ability to evaluate the quarterback position, even though it, it is an extremely difficult thing to do. And so I try not to, like, fully hold it against them. But certainly, there have been some struggles in Ryan Pace's early round draft picks in a lot of his drafts since he's taken over as general manager. But with the Khalil Mack trade and the Bears only having two second-round picks and then not until the fourth round do they pick again, that is not enough draft capital to move up to the top of the NFL draft to acquire a top quarterback. And, it, of course, the college football season is still going on, and I don't want to get into too much specifics as far as the quarterback prospects because the I haven't done any hardcore evaluating of any of them. But kind of based on what we know right now, you know, the, the conversation is Tua Vailoa from Alabama, Justin Herbert from Oregon, and Joe Burrow from LSU. And at this point, it feels like all three of them may go in that top portion of the draft where the Chicago Bears just don't have the resources to go up and get one. So they would have to sort of wait for that second tier of quarterbacks, you know, the, the Jake Fromms of the world, the Georgia quarterback. And at that point, if you're sort of waiting and taking the leftovers at quarterback, are you really making the best decision for your franchise at the position? Are you really solving the problem if you're taking another quarterback that might have some some more strengths and weaknesses and might not be that surefire franchise guy? So then are you limited to the free agent pool, which... Or, or I guess the trade market, if you'd start talking about Nick Foles or, you know, maybe a Carolina Panthers quarterback or Josh Rosen from the Dolphins. But like like at the trade deadline, not a lot of those options are necessarily easing your mind at the quarterback position. So then that just leaves us with the free agents, which again is not a very deep pool because teams don't let good quarterbacks just go out on the open market for free, and they're not looking to trade good quarterbacks either. And of course, you know, right now, you, you can if you Google a list of free agent quarterbacks, you'll see Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers on that list and, and go, oh, wouldn't that be something? But of course, no one's really expecting any of those quarterbacks to be available at this point. But you're sort of looking at, you know, Eli Manning, gross. Um, Teddy Bridgewater right now, I think, is your most enticing option, but the New Orleans Saints do not want to let him go. And he seems to really like New Orleans and really like playing for the Saints. It's a question of how much money he's willing to take to play in New Orleans versus go somewhere else and get a bigger contract and be the true starting quarterback right away rather than waiting for Drew Brees. Jameis Winston's listed as a free agent, but the Buccaneers are expected to retain him in some form. And then you're back to Marcus Mariota, which I, I sort of put on this tier of we don't know 
if he's better at the quarterback position. And so then when you're Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and you're trying to add a quarterback this offseason to compete or unseat Mitchell Trubisky, it's hard for me to sit here on the outside and, and necessarily evaluate their ability to evaluate the quarterback position if in this specific case, there's not a great pool for them to work with in terms of what options they have. They don't have any options to take a top quarterback in the draft because they don't have the draft capital to do so. And the free agent market is very limited and we don't even know exactly who they're going to be able to get. So if they're sort of stuck signing Marcus Mariota and Marcus Mariota isn't any good, that doesn't necessarily to me say, oh, well, this staff still can't evaluate quarterbacks because they, they just don't have a lot of really good options at this point. So, I mean, I think the track record is not encouraging and I, I don't have a ton of confidence right now in this group's ability to nail the quarterback position. But of course, it's a really hard thing to do, like I said. And for me, this offseason, the bigger concern is what do they even have available to them? Like it was much more damning when you know, Ryan Pace had his pick of the draft class and picked the wrong one. And that's what looks especially bad. And in free agency, when you come out and sign Mike Glennon on the first day and and really kind of go all in there and you get four games out of him and really burn quite a bit of money very quickly. But with this free agent class and with where they sit in the draft, for me, it's like Teddy Bridgewater's at the top if he's even available. And then everything else, unless they can find some other quarterback somewhere, somehow, I don't know that there's a lot of guys that I would really feel confident could be a big upgrade. And that's not that's not a, 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 the fault of their ability to evaluate the quarterback. It's, it's a reflection of what quarterbacks are available and what capital in terms of the draft that they have to get those quarterbacks. And maybe it circles back to a criticism of Ryan Pace going all in on Mitchell Trubisky without being fairly sure that Mitchell Trubisky was the quarterback worth going all in on and maybe you know they got a little bit ahead of themselves here and and now are really in a tough spot when they have to make those difficult quarterback decisions but again we don't even know yet what all the scenarios will be what all what all quarterbacks will be available even when we talk about the draft prospects which ones are going to end up finishing the season strong and being top prospects versus guys that'll fall so it's way too early to get too caught up or too depressed in any of the future quarterback scenarios just yet. We have a lot of football still left to be played both at the pro and college level. So coming up next on the podcast, we'll look at a few different spots on this Bears team in the season still to be played and kind of get a sense of where things are offensively and where a particular defensive player has been this season. Keep it locked right here on Locked On Bears. Again, I want to thank everyone who submitted questions and left their voicemails and text messages this week. So I want to try and get through a few of them here and make sure we get everybody's questions answered and get us talking a little bit more present and short-term future here. This is Mike from UP, Michigan. What is going on with the red zone offense? seemed like last year Nagy had something dialed in for red zone and it was creative and have the defenses just figured them out or just wanted to see your thoughts. Thanks. Appreciate the call, Mike. And as with so many things in the sport of football, it's never black and white in the red zone as far as it's purely defenses figuring things out or it's purely poor decisions by Matt Nagy or anything like that. I mean, it's, it's certainly a mix of a lot of different things. But like when I look over the Chargers game in particular, I think we're seeing creative 
play calling in those areas at times. I mean, it's not everything is not always out of the bag of tricks. Sometimes they just hand it off and punch it in with David Montgomery for a touchdown, right? But particularly, you know, I think back to the end of that first half when they had a lot of opportunities and just kept not being able to get in until they spiked it and and took a field goal for three points when they really should have had six there. And as I kind of go back through some of those plays, you know, they were able to get up to the goal line and, you know, with a run or with, with a pass to get get them close. And then a run to Montgomery gets nowhere. Then then they called a, a, a screen to Cordero Patterson. It was the same screen pass that the New England Patriots ran against the Chicago Bears last year to Julian Edelman that went for a touchdown. You know, it's a play that I've seen almost every NFL offense run since then. I, I don't know that the Patriots started it, but that was the first place. I remember seeing it where the receiver motions in from wide up closer to the slot and they snap it and throw it to him right away. And the timing wasn't great by the Bears and the blocking wasn't great and they got a yard. And then they followed that up with a designed rollout where Robinson goes out and then up, you know, up the sort of the sideline. There's supposed to be a spot there in the corner of the end zone. They draw the pass interference flag instead and get first and goal from the one. Then they run that isolated Y-ISO slant to Adam Shaheen, where it's just him one-on-one on the outside, and it was batted at the line of scrimmage. And on that same play, it was an empty backfield, and they had quads, four receivers, to the right. Basically, three guys set up to block for Tariq Cohen. I think it was Trey Burton, uh, Cordero Patterson, and... I can't, I'm not remembering exactly, I think Allen Robinson, but it was another receiver right in front of Tariq Cohen to block for a screen on the opposite side. And they had two defenders and three blockers plus Cohen on that right side. And the pass went to Shaheen instead on the slant. It looked like on the All-22 that the blocking on the screen over there was poorly executed, but they had the numbers and the read was there to throw screen on that play. And they instead threw the the quick slant to Shaheen that was tipped to the line of scrimmage. Then they ran it again with 25 seconds left and no timeouts, had to spike it and take the field goal. So I don't know in all of that, you know, how much I put on Matt Nagy's play calling because he's trying different creative things in the red zone that were successful last year, but also things that are, you know, similar to those things from last year, but are different enough that defenses aren't ready for it in the sense that it's not like the Bears run the same red zone plays every time. So there's been some execution issues. There's been some quarterback issues, you know, some blocking issues in the running game in that regard. And and maybe you can, uh, uh, you know, put some of it on good defense and an offense not attacking defenses in enough different ways. But plenty of blame to go around there. But I, I find myself not putting too much of it on Matt Nagy in terms of red zone creativity not being the issue, but maybe the the run-pass balance there and knowing when and how to use those, that that's where I think Matt Nagy could take some blame. How about another voicemail? Hey, Lawrence, Darius from Dallas, man. Uh, well, something that I feel really good about, man. I mean, I know we lost, you know, on the little field goal thing. You know, we don't need to get in and all that. You got, probably got enough stuff calls about that. One thing I really love, man, is what I saw with uh, J.P. Holtz or whatever. I think that's his name, fullback. Man, if Nagy will just stick to that and make that the foundation of what we do, I mean, you could see lanes open up, you know, for Montgomery to run through. Now, I know, yeah, against the Chargers, and they give everybody a lot of run yards, but still, I'm just really excited about that. Despite, you know, that we lost a game that we should have easily won, uh, I just want to see, are you as excited about the about the usage of, of the fullback and uh, the future of what that can do for our offense? Uh, thanks, man. Thanks, Darius. And I, I have a soft spot in my heart for fullbacks in general. And, 
you know, J.P. Holtz is technically a tight end, but he's been playing a lot more fullback in this Bears offense as of late. And I do think it was a, a welcomed addition, a welcomed mix-up for this offense in the sense that it's it's a it adds another gap for the running game that the defense has to account for, and it's movable, right? When you have just a running back in the offensive line in front of him, you know there you have to just block all the spaces in between the linemen, and you know where those spaces are going to be, generally speaking. Whereas a fullback can kind of go in any of them and create you know two more gaps, one to his outside and one to his inside, that the defense has to account for. So there, so there's real value in the fullback in the running game. And the Bears saw that, you know, the, the long 55-yard run did not have a fullback, but the other two longest runs of David Montgomery, a 14 and a 10, both came from under center and both were, you know, different looks from this Bears offense. And both had six offensive linemen on the field, I should mention, with Cornelius Lucas at tight end. But I'm concerned that when I watch and kind of look back over this Bears running game against the Chargers, they were a bit more predictable at, at times than I had noticed when I've watched it live. That when I when I go through and you look at just the runs that they had from shotgun, that was almost exclusively your gap scheme runs. It was a lot of power, a little bit of trap, man, and counter. You know, the, the plays where it's not zone, it's guys are blocking and you're double teaming and working downhill and usually you'll have a pulling lineman go from the backside, well, at least one pulling lineman from the backside to the front side. But when they went under center, it was almost exclusively their zone concepts, inside and outside zone, a lot more of the fullback in there as well. And they were still able to have quite a bit of success with it, but it was it felt predictable in looking back through it in that you could kind of guess pretty consistently what the Bears were going to do based on how they were lined up. And of all of David Montgomery's runs with the quarterback under center, there were, let's see, a total of... 14 of those runs, three of them were without that sixth offensive lineman on the field. They bring in Cornelius Lucas for that extra tonnage, and they run the football. But it was a pretty big indicator that when he was on the field, they were going to run the ball. And particularly when he was on the field and they were under center and David Montgomery was in the backfield, those were all signs that you're going to get some kind of zone run, either inside or outside zone. It worked against the Chargers, and I wonder if Better coached defenses could key in on some of those predictabilities there and try and exploit some of the things the Bears were able to do successfully in the running game last week. So I have my doubts about how sustainable that success might be against a non-Chargers opponent, but I hope to see more J.P. Holtz involved because I love getting the fullback in there, and I do think it adds a little extra element to the running game, and it can also add an element to the passing game when that fullback is a tight end who can catch the ball, and I'd like to see more passing to players in the backfield in this offense. And I think we got time for one more quick one we can squeeze in here. How about the Bears' defense? Hey, Lauren, it's Ellie from Chicago again. Um, do you think we should be worried about the lack of performance from Eddie Jackson this year so far? Thank you. Well, thank you, Ellie. And you're right that we haven't seen a lot of Eddie Jackson even just like around the ball in terms of making tackles and being really involved the way he was last year. And I think some of that has just been, you know, the defense itself isn't quite as dominant as it was last year. And he was a big part of that dominance. And, you know, as everybody's kind of slowed down a little bit and come back down a little bit closer to earth, we haven't quite seen the same level of play from Eddie Jackson. And I think his mistakes this season have kind of fluctuated as the year went on. That really early in the season, like the first three games or so, 
he was really having trouble with missed tackles. And we saw him really struggle to wrap up against Denver in particular. And through the first three games, he had six missed tackles after having 13 all of last season. But since week three, he hasn't missed a single tackle. And it seems like he kind of, you know, settled down a little bit and focused on coming down and, and wrapping up and making sure that he wasn't letting guys get extra yards in that regard. But then since then, it feels like he's been a little bit less disciplined in terms of pursuit angles from the safety position and really kind of coming downhill and making sure that he's where exactly where he needs to be to sort of help out his teammates. And it's not that he's missing the tackle, but maybe he's just not he's not filling exactly where he needs to be to allow the receiver to have more yards after the catch. He's like he's not getting to the tackle point with the way he was when he was a little bit more aggressive in coming downhill. And I, I we just haven't quite seen that same I don't know if energy is quite the right word, but that same Eddie Jackson swagger from last year, right? I mean, of course, the the performance that we saw in 2018 was maybe uh, above and beyond and not something he was going to be able to do every season at such a high level. He was he was legitimately one of the best safeties in the NFL last season, and it, was not, it wasn't fair to expect him to do exactly that same, but he hasn't been quite up to the standard that I think we would have expected, even with a, a slight step back from last season. He hasn't been bad by any means, but I, you know, I think HaHa Clinton Dix has been playing better than Eddie Jackson at this point this season. He's still a, a great deterrent in the middle of the field, and teams haven't really been challenging him a ton up to this point. I think he's been targeted even at a lower rate than we saw last year and, and not allowing many catches in his area much at all. So some of it's an opportunity thing where we just don't see him around the ball very much because the ball's not coming to him very much. But I also think some of it is him as well, not not quite establishing himself and truly making his presence felt all over the defense. It seems like it's been a little bit more of a passive Eddie Jackson than a really active Eddie Jackson. And I appreciate how active you, the Lockdown Bears listeners, have been for all these mailbag podcasts, getting your questions in and taking us in the direction you want to go. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want your question answered on next week's show, feel free to give us a call, leave a voicemail. The phone number is 312-620-8590. You can also text in your questions that way. You can email lockedonbears at gmail.com, or you can just send a tweet at Locked on Bears works as well. So make sure you're subscribed to the podcast to keep up with all of our daily Chicago Bears news and analysis. We'll be back Monday after the Philadelphia Eagles game. I think by then I will be 100% over this cold and sound as back to normal. I've been, I think I've been pretty good about edit, edit, editing out any sniffles or coughs in there, but I think a, a full seven days will do it for me on that regard, and I'm, I'll be happy to give you a, a, a more normal podcast voice for you here as well. And at the very least, I'll be happy to give you another opportunity to bear down.